Uh, well, good morning again. Um, I'm excited about these, uh, these two chapters. Um, if you're new here, we're continuing this series on the book of Nehemiah, as uh, you might know having just read it. Um, Nehemiah, what a, what a guy. He's a bit of a legend, isn't he? I've been blown away uh, the last two weeks um, preparing this message just by uh, what a just by his character, by his sort of his servant-hearted leadership, his um, love for God has been uh, amazing. Uh, in the next 25 minutes, we are not going to do these two chapters justice, okay? There is a lot in here. Every time I read it, even reading it again now, there is just more. Oh, I can apply that and that. And so there's loads in here. So we're, we're going to have a slice, not a loaf this morning. Um, but I hope to whet your appetite as we look a bit closer at this hero of the faith. Who is your hero? Who is your hero? Do you have a hero? Uh, if you're an athletic sort of person, you might have got some inspiration last night from some of our gold medals we won. Um, have you got a hero? When I was growing up, it was either uh, between uh, James Fraser, who's a missionary to China, uh, my granddad, and Doctor Who. Um, why, why do we have heroes? Uh, we have people that we, we like to look up to. We hope maybe one day we'll be a little bit like them. We'll do similar things. Should we have heroes? What does the Bible say? Let me read Hebrews 13, 7. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's okay to have heroes, but pick a real one. Um, preferably pick a dead one, uh, because if they're still alive, you can't see the outcome of their way of life, can you? Uh, they might mess it all up at the end and you'll be really disappointed. They might let you down. So with a hero in history, you can look at the end result of their life and their faith. And of course, the best hero is Jesus. Spoiler alert, as you'll see at the end. Because um, he is the same yesterday, today and forever. So it's okay to look at Nehemiah and see what his what about his faith we can learn from and imitate. But you might be sat there thinking, okay, okay, Rob, I'm not planning on building a wall around Epsom anytime soon, okay? Uh, I'm not a leader. No one's attacking me with swords. Uh, why is Nehemiah a, a guy to look up to? Um, Hebrews 13, it says, look at their way of life and imitate their faith, yeah? Not necessarily their actions, okay, <laughs> okay? Imitate their faith that led them to do those actions. Um, Nehemiah's faith has some big lessons to teach us, whatever actions, big or small, we're doing. So let's get into it. So the story so far, we've got Nehemiah, this guy who was a, he's a Jew, okay? He's come, uh, been taken from his homeland. He's about a thousand miles away from his original homeland. Um, but he's risen up the ranks. He's now sort of like a bodyguard to the king of the greatest superpower on earth. So he's a real real privileged position. Um, chapter 1, we see uh, he's a man of God. He's a man of prayer. He's a deep man. He's got a heart to go back. He prays to God. Chapter 2, he comes to the king. He asks him a really dodgy question. Can I go back and rebuild that city you might have destroyed earlier? Yes, I can. He gets sent by the king to go back. Chapter 3, they start rebuilding. There's this beautiful picture, isn't it, we saw last week of all these different names, all these different people coming together, united, building this wall, a beautiful picture of uh, what God's people can do when they come together. 
So it's all going well. It's going really well. So we know Nehemiah is a great leader because everything's going well. Right? Well, that's not real life, is it? Life doesn't go well all the time. Um, the thing is, you only see a person for what they are when they're tested. Okay? So you might have bought a lovely second-hand oak table off eBay uh, and you pick it up on the hard shoulder of the motorway and uh, you're told it's oak, but you only really know when it takes a knock, don't you? And then you see whether it's real hardwood or whether it's a cheap veneer over some MDF or something. So you only really know what a leader's like, what a person's like when they are tested. And Nehemiah is about to be tested big time. He's about to be hit with two potentially knockout blows, one from outside and one from inside. And they're both actually pretty dark and pretty serious. So the first one, we've got problems outside, chapter four. We've got the problem, the problem being two main people, these two troublemakers, these two jokers called Sambalat and Tobiah in verse one to three. Now they start off kind of a bit slightly harmless, okay? They're kind of ridiculing, kind of a bit of a private conversation between them saying, uh, look in uh, verse one to three, um, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? To bar the Ammonites saying, oh, even a fox will break it down. Okay, so they're, 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 they're hating on God's people, right? But they're, at this stage, they're just kind of a bit annoying. Okay, a bit like the, uh, those guys in the Muppets on the balcony that would always be, you know, or, or Rotten Tomatoes website today. You know, they just don't like anybody. Um, but... Their hate doesn't stop there. It soon turns a bit sinister, doesn't it? In verse 8, they start stirring up trouble. Verse 11, they send a rumour around. Uh, before they know it, or, or, or before they uh, know, know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. So they've gone from harmless ridicule in some ways to threats of... Terrorism, basically, aren't they? People hiding in the shadows, ready to strike at a moment's notice on innocent people with no warning. Verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Okay, so just imagine Nehemiah's office, you know, knock, knock, come in. Oh, I've just heard that uh, whenever you're building the wall, they're just going to kill you. Oh, thanks. Okay, great. Next one, knock, knock. Oh, Hi there, Ma, yeah. Some people say they're all going to murder you when you do the wall. Okay, thanks. Not, not. Ten times over, all these people discouraging him. It's like that old sort of playground tactic of intimidation, you know. Who's going to get you off to school, you know. Everyone knows who's going to wait at the gate, you know. Except here, with Nehemiah's workers, it's not all talk. There is a real serious threat of death. Imagine the fear that's going to bring on people. Terrorism, sadly, does do what it says on the tin. It causes terror. What's up with these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah? What's their, what's their problem? Why do they oppose God's people? Well, we're not told. We're not told. Maybe they, maybe they feel threatened about this new nation starting next door. Maybe they're just racist. Maybe they're intolerant towards people different to them. Whatever their reason, they want to hate on God's people, even though God's people have done nothing wrong against them. Sounds anything like similar to some things we see in the world today? Do we see that elsewhere in the Bible? Well, 
We've got the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees hating Jesus, wanting to kill him, even though all he's doing is going around sharing the good news and healing people and loving people. Uh, in, uh, in the book of Acts, the rulers in Jerusalem, they hate the apostles. They want to kill them. They want to beat them up. Why? Because they're going around doing good and healing people. All throughout the Bible and subsequent history, whenever people choose to follow God and do what he says, people will always try and oppose it. Because at our core, there is something deep down in humanity that doesn't want to be ruled, doesn't want God to tell us what to do, wants to be the king of our own life. But not Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, uh, God's worked in his life. We've seen that in chapter one. He's given him a heart that wants to love God and follow his commands and serve God and serve other people. So Nehemiah, you've got a problem. You've got these two terrorists, Sambala and Tobiah. What are you going to do? Are you going to play some Taylor Swift, hate's going to hate from the walls of Jerusalem? Well, he's got options. Um, he's a body, he was a bodyguard of a, he's a leader of a micronation backed by a superpower. So he's got resources, all right? Um, if this was a film and he was being played by Russell Crowe, we might imagine what could happen in the next scene. Some kind of revenge, some kind of preemptive strike, uh, maybe some kind of hate return to sender, threats on them, attacks on them. No. He doesn't threaten them back. He doesn't attack them. He meets the problem with prayer and practicality. He meets the problem with prayer and practicality. Look at verse 4. Um, as soon as the terror threat comes in, as soon as it comes in, as soon as there's a hint of it, what does he do? He gets on his knees. He prays that God would do his fighting for him. He prays that God would defend them. Then look at verse 8 and verse 9. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God, prayer, and posted a guard day and night, practicality. That's how he meets this threat. Look at this wonderful balance of faith and action, prayer and practicality. He trusts God to fight for them. So verse 20, um, whenever you hear the sounds of the trumpet, join us there. What's his plan? Our God will fight for us. So he trusts God, but he also sets a guard and he gets everyone ready to fight. He sets up rotors. Um, they're going to defend their lives. They're going to fight. But hang on, stop here. Surely someone's going to come along and say, hang on. If Nehemiah really trusts God, why the swords? If we really trust God, why the, why the nighttime rotor of people being ready to defend themselves? Isn't all this planning just showing that he doesn't really trust God that much? If we do stuff, doesn't that make our, does that make our faith in God less valid? Uh, like God's some kind of backup plan. Well, let me ask you this. When you go on a long journey, do you pray for safety? Probably a lot of you do. Do you also put your seatbelt on? Yes. Why? Because it's common sense. Okay? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my actual heroes, he's dead now, so it's allowed. Um, he's, uh, he was a, a, a doctor and a pastor from a few years back. Uh, he wrestled with this whole issue in a sermon uh, about depression. Okay? So he says, look, there's some people that's, that, that never seek any medical counselling help because they, they're Christians and they, they just want God to fix the problem. Uh, and you've got others that just all go for 
all the tablet stuff, and they, and they never think about God at all. Um, so he's saying, like, do we trust God to fix it? Do we seek practical help? And he said this, the Christian is never less than the unbeliever. He is always more. He should have all the common sense and wisdom of the unbeliever, but he has something more in addition. So his message, in his message, his answer to which one is yes, you do both. Faith it does not cancel out common sense. God can work in supernatural ways, but that does not mean he doesn't work in natural ways as well. So imagine you're sick. Do you pray or do you go to the doctor? Which one? The answer is yes. The unbeliever just goes to the doctor and has all their hope in that. But the Christian goes knowing that their ultimate hope is in God and he can use normal stuff to heal them if he wants to. God's not the backup plan. He's actually the whole plan from the beginning because all this human stuff is, is all, he's, he's put that in place anyway. You may have heard of some preachers uh, telling people you know, to throw away their insulin and don't take their tablets because it shows a lack of faith and all this uh, rubbish. So bring them to this chapter. Bring them to this chapter. Uh, eight years ago, uh, I, I was in the depths of, uh, of depression. Um, I was sick, but I felt that as a Christian, going to the GP would show a lack of faith. But it was actually admitting I had a problem and getting help that God used to humble me uh, and see my greater need for the gospel and grow closer to him. So we actually use those natural ways. Are you in a similar situation here today? Nehemiah's faith in action is for you. What would it look like for you to face your problems you're going through now with prayer and practicality? God is not Nehemiah's backup plan. God is the whole plan, including the common sense that he's given him as a leader. Nehemiah shows leadership in leading his people in prayer, in faith, and in common sense to organise them to defend themselves against the attackers. So what happens now? Uh, okay, so he's come to God, he's prayed, he's trusting God, he's being practical. What's going to happen? Elsewhere in the Bible, when people trust God, fire from the sky. You know, maybe, the, uh, maybe these terrorists are just going to eat, get eaten up by the earth, or maybe some disease is going to kind of eat them. Um, what's going to happen? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. It's almost surprising. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. Look at that. You've got peace without a single drop of bloodshed. That's a miracle, isn't it? How has that happened? Well, it looks like human means, but actually who's behind it all? The God of heaven who Nehemiah trusts. Amazing. So, problem from the outside, through prayer and practicality, is fixed for now. But now, briefly, let's have a look at the problem inside. This one's a little bit dark as well. How's Nehemiah going to deal with it? So, problems inside, chapter 5. So, what's going on here? Um, so, the people are hard at work rebuilding the city, and they're kind of figuring out, what's this society going to look like? What's our, what's our new city going to be like? How are we going to relate to each other? What's the problem? Everyone's working hard rebuilding, but they still need to eat. Okay? They still need to eat, they still need to pay their taxes, but they're pretty poor because they're working so hard at rebuilding. So a few people come along and think, oh, the need here is for quick cash. So if I lend you money, 
But with extortion interest rates, because you're kind of over a barrel because you need the cash so you'll take it, then I can get loads of money back. I can get people into my debt. Um, they lend money, extortion interest rates to low-income people expecting everyone, getting everyone in their debt. So this morning we've had terrorism and payday lenders in as many chapters. Um, these are like 21st century issues <coughs> 2,500 years ago. So this Jerusalem getmycash.com, like many day, modern-day versions, is really popular. Lots of people are using these money lenders in Chapter 5. They're getting their money, they're using it to eat, pay their taxes, and like modern-day, everyone kind of knows someone is maybe being very exploited here. Except this ancient version is a bit darker, because if you can't pay it, the bailiffs aren't just going to take your chairs and tables and flat screen. They're going to take your sons and daughters to slavery. <laughs> this, is, so this is bigger. Okay, um, This mass debt is out of control. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. Oh, my goodness. How on earth is Nehemiah going to deal with this? This is a really sensitive mess. Because... These aren't outside people coming in. These are inside people. This is probably happening only a few months after arrival. You can take the people out of Babylon, but how do you take Babylon out of the people? How on earth is Nehemiah going to deal with this? But hang on, Nehemiah's, he's actually gone through the same journey as them, though. He's come from the same culture of, as them in Babylon, so why is he so different? Well, why is he so different? We've seen he's a man of prayer who knew God. He was from another place in his heart. He was from another culture. He was from another kingdom. He was from God's culture. He was from God's kingdom. He was from God's place. So how is he going to react? Verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. So Nehemiah gets angry. Is it right to be angry? Well, Jesus gets angry at the temple, doesn't he? When he sees people um, making money from people's free right and access to worship God, and he's, Jesus sees vulnerable people being exploited and financially abused, he gets angry. How does injustice make you feel? The Bible suggests it should make us angry. So what's Nehemiah going to do with this anger? What are his options? He could go all equaliser on them. He could go man on fire. He could take them out with violence. Or on the other hand, well... He's worked hard. He's a man of standing. Maybe he could take a little bit of something. He could look the other way. He could be lazy. He could expect someone else to do it for him. He could turn a blind eye. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. So Nehemiah is not going to do nothing. He has to do something. Jesus says in Matthew 18 that if you've got a problem with someone, you don't gossip about them, you go to them directly. So verse 7, he thinks about what to say, and then he calls all the people together, and he gives them it straight. Verse 7 to 11, he tells them, okay, get this, he tells them they're wrong, and they need to give all the money back. Now, what if I told you, okay, guys, I've got this great plan, okay, I'm going to go to all the payday lenders that are getting everyone in debt, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sit them all down in a meeting, I'm going to tell them, look, guys, what you're doing is wrong, you're exploiting people, you need to give all the money back. How, what sort of feedback are you going to give me about that plan? Okay, It's not never in a million years. But Nehemiah, he's a man of prayer and practicality. The Lord is with him. 
what happens when Nehemiah has his meeting. Verse 12. They give it back. They do. This is nothing short of a miracle. This should blow our socks off. But it all looks very ordinary, doesn't it? How? Well, God's working in prayer and practicality. What's the ordinary means here? I think it's Nehemiah's servant leadership that God uses to melt their hearts. Look at verse 10. Nehemiah reveals that he himself is also lending money. Oh, Nehemiah, are you dodgy? No. He lends money for 0% interest rate. Why, this all sounds a bit, uh, you know, talking about interest rates and things. Why is this so radical, okay? Because it's actually really other-centred. Has anyone here heard of microfinancing before, okay? So it's, uh, there's a really good video of how it works on Care International's website, okay? So it's basically a way of charities um, supporting people in developing settings uh, starting a business, okay? So you don't want to give them a free handout because that could be taken away, it could be abused. You give them a loan, but 0% interest. They use that little bit of money to start their business up and then they pay it back so they have ownership of it. And it's this really kind of modern idea of doing development work that's really popular with charities. And Nehemiah's doing it 2,500 years ago. It's very radical, it's very different, it's very other-centred. He's helping people in a servant-hearted and sustainable way. He's a man tunnel visions on, uh, on building Jerusalem for God's glory and the good of others. And it permeates everything he does. Later in verse 14 to 18, you find out Nehemiah doesn't even claim his expenses. Look at this guy. He doesn't claim his expenses. He places no tax on the people for his living costs. He pays it all himself. His allowance of food from the king that he has to take what does he do with it? Does he have a big extravagant meal for himself? What happens? Uh, look at verse 17. Um, he shares his table with over 150 people. And uh, you can imagine, are they all officials? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're some of the poorest. And look, verse 17, it's also those from other nations. So this wall he's building, it's not a Donald Trump wall to keep people different out, okay? It's a wall of protection so the nations are all welcome uh, in Jerusalem. It's really quite amazing. His example of servant leadership is abundantly generous. He overcomes these troublemakers inside, not with violence, not with aggression, not with threats. He overcomes them with servant-hearted leadership that sees his table open to all the nations. I love Nehemiah. Um, he comes out of this self-centered culture, but he's not of that culture. He leads by example what God's kingdom should be like, other-centered. Do you want to be like that? Because as great a hero as Nehemiah is, he's a pale shadow of the true hero. The people around Jesus constantly wanted to use their power to lord it over people and exploit other people. How did Jesus use his almighty power as the king of the universe? He served people. He was a man of prayer and practicality. He raises the dead and washes feet. He sacrifices all he has for sinners on the cross. He died for our sins so he can spread a table that all are welcome, all the nations are welcome to that table. If you want a hero, Nehemiah is pretty good, uh, but pick Jesus. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so gracious to us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the true and greater Nehemiah who is building us up uh, into your people, into your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you lead us. Thank you that you serve us. Thank you, Lord, that you don't treat us as we deserve. You don't repay us back when we look down other people. Lord, when we um, judge other people, when we exploit people in whatever ways, Lord, you instead serve us, you love us, you bring us in your family, you open a table for us, you bring us in, you cancel all of our debts. Lord, you, Lord I just pray uh, that you would impress these truths on our hearts. Lord, help us as we go into this week. Lord, help us to be people who face, who face problems, uh, not in an earthly way, but in a, in a godly way. Lord, help us to be people of, of prayer and action, trusting you. Help us to be people who are quick to see how we can serve people, how we can sacrificially give out of ourselves to raise others up. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd just bless these things to us. In Jesus' name, amen.